Well, good morning. Welcome. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the next to the last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 24. Revelation 21. If you go to 24, let me know. As I was studying for the message, and you noticed in the bulletin, I entitled it just simply heaven. And I was praying about this and, and the focus in, and what I really want to have to happen this morning is I would like for you, if you haven't thought about heaven very much, that you would really get homesick for a place you've never been, a place you've never experienced, a place you've only read about and heard about. And that's heaven. Because we as Christians have a wonderful, fabulous future ahead of us as we think about what life to come will be like. And secondly, then, my prayer is, if you don't know Jesus and you begin to hear about all the splendor and all the magnificence that's ours as Christians, then you're going to say, hey, I'm going to go there too. And you're going to say, I'm going to do whatever I need to to make sure I go there. So as you think about heaven this morning and so on, think about what you're anticipating, what you're looking forward to. And as always, if you recall from years ago when I preached here on a regular basis, I usually had a couple stories, and I no different this morning, a couple stories I'd like to read to you. And the first one is, and this one, and you may recall this one, I don't know if I used it more than once, but it just... Uh, it struck my fancy, and I trust it will strike yours too. It's a short one. It's just simply entitled, Going Up. A little boy got on the elevator in the Empire State Building in New York City. He and his daddy started to, to the top. The boy watched the signs flashing as they went by the floors. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70. They kept going, and he got nervous. And he took his daddy's hand and said, Daddy, does God know we're coming? This one's about a pastor. It says, My pastor was telling our congregation about an experience that had almost killed him that afternoon and his desire to give God credit for protecting him. He made this rather inadequate attempt. If it weren't for the grace of God, I'd be in heaven right now. That was from a lady named Jessica Honeycutt. And this last one yet before I get into the message. Thinking back, when Fred arrived at the pearly gates, there was a new problem. So you probably read this one somewhere before, but there was hardly any line and he didn't have to wait more than a minute before his interview. Naturally, he was a little nervous about getting through the gates and into the heavenly city. And very quickly, he found himself standing before an impressive angelic being with a clipboard who started getting his entry data down. After name, address, and a few other particulars, the angelic being said, Fred, it would help the process if you could share with me some experience from your life on earth when you did a purely unselfish, kindly deed. Well, Fred thought about it for a minute and then said, Oh, yes. He said, I think I have something you might be interested in. One day I was walking along. I came upon a little old lady who was being mercilessly beaten by a huge motorcycle gang type of fellow. He was smacking her back and forth. Well, I just stepped right up, and first I pushed over his motorcycle just to distract his attention. Then I kicked him real hard in the shins and told the old lady to run for help. 
And then I hauled off and gave the guy a great shot right to the gut with my fist. The being looked at Fred with a great deal of interest and said, Wow, that's quite a story. I'm very impressed. Could you tell me then just what happened? Fred looked at his watch and said, Oh, about two or three minutes ago. Revelation 21, just the first four verses. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we're before you again this morning, I pray that you would help us quiet our hearts, put aside the distractions from this week, maybe this morning, I pray, as always, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that love your word. And bless me as I share the message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking about how best to start this message. And as I was considering that, really, truthfully, there should be one message before this one, at least one. And that message has to do with what happens when Jesus comes back. Because, let me tell you something, whether you believe it, whether you want to believe it, whether you think it's just simply something that I'm imagining or something that's just a farce, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back in bodily form. It's not an imagination from me. It's not something that I'm telling you that I have no basis in fact. It's something that the Bible teaches us clearly. And Jesus himself said, I'm coming back. If you go back to Acts, the first part of Acts, when Jesus was ascending, angels came and said, Hey, this same Jesus who you've seen go will come back in like manner as you have seen him go. And take you to be with him is the essence of it. Jesus said, John 14, verse 2, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me. Jesus is coming back. Whether you like it, whether you don't, whether you're anticipating it, whether it scares you, Jesus is coming back. And if you don't know him, it should scare you. In fact, if I can just use a bit of vernacular, it should scare you to death. If you don't know Jesus. Because he's coming back. And I believe it's imminent. And I know we as people from all ages. We have heard our pastors preach about the reality of the return of Jesus Christ. That it is imminent. I have a mental image of how imminent it is. I have this mental image of God saying to Jesus. You know this is my imagination. I call it my sanctified imagination. But I have this mental image of Jesus reaching over. His hand is on the doorknob. 
And God is saying to him, it's time, let's go. That's how quick, that's how soon I believe it is. Are you ready? Are you ready? Because he is coming. Jesus coming back first. He's coming in the air. He will take those of us who know him and those who have died before who know him in the grave and take us to be with him in heaven. What a wondrous day that is. I'm a bit nervous when I get too high in the air. Not in a plane, but otherwise. Been on a few places where they've had these glass floors. You know, you look down, you say, are you nuts? Look down, I, I gingerly step like it. I'm not worried about being nervous about heights when Jesus comes back to get us. Because he's coming back. We'll go to be with him for a period of time. After which, Jesus will return with us to live and to rule in this world for a thousand years. Now, I, I, know, I know there are Christians who don't believe exactly the same. That's okay. You can believe that way. Just look me up when we're in a thousand years and I'll tell you I told you so. <laughs> but now, I, in all seriousness, I, I recognize that eschatology is sometimes a, a difficult subject for Christians to believe in or believe it's the same. But after the thousand-year reign, there were some difficult times. And then Jesus will raise the rest of the people to life. And there will be what's called the great white throne judgment, where those who don't know him will give an account of their lives. And then they'll be cast into hell, the everlasting destination of those who don't know Jesus. It's a a terrible thought. It's going to happen. And when I say that you're going to give an account of your life, here's what I believe. I don't believe we'll say a word. Because Jesus will have it all down. He'll open the books. And if you're not in that one particular book, the book of life, I feel very, very sorry for you. If you're in the book of life, yeah, you will be judged because the Bible teaches, and I, there's a lot of verses I could look up and give to you, and I, I have a lot of verses I could support a lot of what I'm saying, and I just don't have the time to turn to them. But you give an account of your life, and the Bible teaches very clearly that there are degrees of reward and punishment for those who give an account of their life. And I believe that. Because the Bible teaches it. And if you think, well, I'm just going to avoid that, it's not going to happen. You're not going to say anything because Jesus will read the account of how you lived your life without him. And you have eternity to regret it. However, on the other hand, if you're in the book of life, and they open the book and your name is in there. Yeah, I think you will also give an account of how you lived your life for him and the degrees of reward. And then you think about heaven, you think about all that's ahead, and then you think about, and here's what I was thinking about in preparation for this. You think about family and friends who have died suddenly, tragically, 
instantly who made no profession of faith. And Jesus tells us, you know, when you get to heaven, there will be no tears, no sorrow, no mourning. Anything. How can that be? I'll tell you two things about that. One I know for sure and one's conjecture. Maybe. One I know for sure that there'll be no tears, there'll be no sorrow, no sadness, and a lot of other no's. And you say, how's that going to be possible? Because I know that these people aren't here. Could it be? I don't know. This is not from the Bible now, okay? This is just simply maybe. Maybe God will, maybe God, he'll say, you know what? I'm just going to erase those people from your mind so you don't even know about them anymore. I don't know. But I do know that Jesus promises us when we get to heaven, we're not going to have to worry about those things and lots of other good things. And I have, hear me now, And I hope you echo this. I have every intention of being there. And I trust you do too. I hope you have a heartfelt passion after you leave this service that you want to be there. That you want to see some of your family and friends who you're confident are there. What a glorious reunion that's going to be. Then you think about others who say, you know what? Heaven's not really real. It's just a figment of your imagination. Yeah, I know what the Bible, what you say the Bible says, but there's no such place. They're from Missouri. You got to show me. You know what? And I, I remember saying this a couple times in funeral meditations that I have said several times already about the next life because there is the next life that I could wish for my family and friends, who several of who have died without any profession of faith, that I could sincerely wish that God would have arranged it that when they died, that was the end of existence for them. But he didn't. I'm not God. God arranged it. I'm okay with it. I just wish it were different. But it's not. And I remember I, I used to, when I'd preach, and particularly sometimes at funeral meditations, I would say, for all eternity. And that's a misnomer. And for us as finite, simple-minded people, all of us, it's virtually impossible for us to have the concept of something that doesn't end. And so I try my best to no longer say for all eternity. I just say for eternity. Because the concept of not having any time at all. The time, everything we do here is regulated by time. And the idea that time isn't in the life to come is just something that's almost impossible for us to grasp. And the reason it's difficult for some people to grasp heaven, it's not here. We've not seen it. We've not touched it. We've only read about it. And it's difficult for us. And, and we even, as Christians, 
We get so wrapped up in this life and we begin to think about life and we get comfortable here. And it's a little difficult sometimes for us to comprehend that there is something far better ahead for us. I would remind you that the Bible tells us that we are aliens and strangers in this world. First Peter. Philippians says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus. You ever been in a country, not the U.S., and you travel there and you're just a little uncomfortable? And, and the culture is different, the people are different, the language is different. And it really feels good to get back home to the U.S., if you've never traveled like that, then it's a, maybe a little harder for us to grasp that. But I've been in a couple of countries, and I'm, when I got on the plane to get home to the U.S., I was glad I was going home. But you know what? I think, in a way, that's what God wants us to feel as Christians. The realization we're aliens and strangers, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. People can't really have grasped that understanding. And I think one of the other reasons that people have such a difficult time grasping the reality of heaven is it's beyond death. You know, the Bible tells us that we're going to die. The death rate's the same all over the world, as I said a couple of times. It's one person per person, one person per death. We all die. I don't care how old or how young you are. In 150 years... A hundred years probably, none of us will be here. Death rate remains the same. And it's beyond what we really understand. We have a, a bit of a concept of what it's like, the Bible teaches us. But it's just simply something that we've not experienced and we won't experience until we get there and have been there and done that. And then the last reason, and there are probably others, but the other thing I think about the reality that why some people have a difficult time believing in heaven. We're taught as little children up. Our parents usually tell us if something sounds too good to be true, then it is. You know what? You can't imagine the goodness of heaven. It's better than what you think. As good as your imagination is. As wonderful as you think about heaven, the splendor of heaven, you ain't seen nothing yet. So why should we believe in it? Simply stated, the best reason I can tell you, because Jesus said so. If Jesus tells you something, you can take it to the bank. Because one of his attributes is truth. And Jesus cannot lie. And Jesus tells us in scripture that heaven is real. That we're going to go there if we know him. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. You know, and it's difficult for us to comprehend that. But as difficult as it is, you can leave the unanswered questions in Jesus' hands. Because you can trust him. He'll take care of all those little details. Sometimes we who are detail-oriented, we want to know everything before we step into something. 
Don't worry about it. Jesus takes care of all. You know why I can tell you that? Because the Bible teaches us that Jesus, as Christians, has given us a deposit, the Holy Spirit within us. And again, there are scriptures to back this up. And then when you put a deposit down, and that, that deposit that he gives us was expensive. You know how expensive it was? It cost Jesus his life and his blood. And then when we embrace Jesus as Savior, confess our sins, repent, and embrace Jesus, he puts his Holy Spirit within us. That expensive deposit. When you put a deposit on something, a car or a house, whatever it is, you put enough money down, you're going to be there. I'm not going to lose that deposit. That's Jesus. Jesus says, I'm not losing that deposit. I put my Holy Spirit within you, and when I promised you, I'm going to be there. And the reason that we should believe in heaven, and here maybe I'm just showing my humanness. I look around, and you see the wickedness in this world, and you see the unfortunate circumstances that happen to Christian people. Good, godly people die in their prime. They're tragically killed. Babies die. Something's not right here. God is a God of justice. Someday all things will be made right. Then you look at people that are evil, ungodly, wicked. Their life makes no sense in any comparison to a Christian life. You know They murder, they kill, they cheat, they lie, they steal. And yet they live Teflon-coated lives and they live to be well, high numbers till they finally pass away. And you say, God, what's the deal here? And God will say to you, just wait, just wait. So why should we believe in heaven? Because we live in a land of tears. You think about this world. Even as Christians, we have heartache, we have dreams that we anticipate, things we wanted to get done. We have loved ones who were taken from us suddenly. We have all these, as young people, we have these aspirations, things that we anticipate doing, great things we hope to accomplish. And something happens and there's no way. And you get to be 60, 70, 80 years old and you look back and see, that didn't happen. And sometimes people are crushed by that. I'm reading through the Bible this year again, and I'm reading right now in Moses, where he's right at the point where God takes him right to the edge of the promised land. And Moses, because he disobeyed God, God said, you can't take the children of Israel in there. And Moses was deeply chagrined. So God took him up on, says, on a high mountain. I, he gave him what I call a drone's eye view of that whole place. But he couldn't be there. But he's in heaven now. Think about the things that you had hoped to accomplish, and you're not going to be able to accomplish those things. And then there are the tears of death of a loved one, and that leaves almost no explanation But I do know, 
and I trust, as I said earlier. When God tells me and Jesus tells me, and he had John write it down for us here in this scripture, that there'll be no tears, no mourning, no sorrow, no sadness. I'm looking forward to that. So what's it like? It's a land of no tears. It's a place. It's a real place. It's not a figure of my imagination. It's a place where Jesus said, I go and prepare a place. Somebody has said, and you've heard this, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. And that's true. The preparation is to know Jesus Christ as Savior. John stood on the Isle of Patmos. And can you imagine the challenge he had in writing down what he saw? It would have been a huge challenge just to pen what he saw and to try to describe it so that we will, at least in small part, understand a bit of what he saw. Heaven's a perfect place. I grew up in a cabinet shop. And I'm fussy when it comes to the way things are built and done. I look at people's cabinets. Yeah. You know, a number of years ago, many years ago, Sue and I went to the Biltmore Mansion in Asheville. And some of you have been there. And I was intrigued because that thing was done 125, 130 years ago. And they did a magnificent job of craftsmanship, woodworking in that place. And I think about what they didn't have. They didn't have all the power tools. They didn't have what they call, if you don't know this term, CNC routers that did everything computerized. You push a button and it does all these intricate things. They didn't have those. And then they've got these big, thick ropes where I'd like to, you know, step over and go over and examine it in closer detail. But you know what? As impressed as I was, you ain't seen nothing yet. That's a shack compared to what we'll see in heaven. Think about that. Heaven's a perfect place. Bible tells us just a bit later here. 1,400 miles wide, long, and high. It's huge. People in this world to get ahead financially, to get money, to get gold, to lie, cheat, steal, murder. When you get to heaven, you know what gold is? Pavement. Pavement. It's amazing. It's a land of no tears and a great multitude of people. Folks, let's not be so naive to think only Mennonites are going to get there. We may have our own little place, you know, not really. But the Bible teaches us that people from every tribe, nation, people, language, everywhere, every denomination, heaven will be a people, person, diverse group of people. It'll be fun. Wonderful. And it's just not us. 
talks about being 144,000 people. Some people think that's all there is. Sorry, folks. If you read elsewhere in, in Revelation, I think maybe chapter 7, John talks about a choir of 10,000 times 10,000. You know what that is? That's 100 million people. A choir. I plan to be there. Heaven is a permanent city. If you've been in some of the great cities of this world today, there's some fabulous architecture, some wonderful things, some beautiful places. And yet the Bible teaches us. Listen to what Peter says. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth, and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? Ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Not so with heaven. Heaven is a permanent city. It's a place of perfect residences. Not going to be in a shack. Came across this little story, if I can find it in my notes, about who's going to have what address in heaven. Thought this was rather interesting. Talking about a perfect place. Let me read you this story. Henry Van Dyke. Henry Van Dyke tells us the story of a rich man who sat down on Christmas Eve to count his possessions. Becoming a bit weary, he put his head down on the library table and he went to sleep. He dreamed that he was in heaven walking down the streets with a recording angel. He went down one street filled with lovely and pretentious homes. Soon the man stopped in front of a beautiful residence and said to the recording angel, Who is so fortunate even in heaven as to be able to have such a home as this? A recording angel looked in his book and said to the man, This home belongs to your gardener. The rich man said, Certainly you folks have made a mistake. He said, This man lived in a very poor cottage on my estate. This cannot be his home. But the angel said, We make no mistakes in heaven. They resumed their walk and soon turned down a very small street. And each home was smaller and less pretentious than the one before it. Soon the man stopped in front of a very small house and laughingly said, Who is so unfortunate even in heaven as to be forced to live in a small place like this? And the recording angel looked in his book and said to the man, Sir, this is your home. I know you've made a mistake now, said the man. Down in the world, I lived in the finest houses money could buy. I had a winter home, a summer home, a country home, and a town home. This cannot be my home. It is your home, said the angel. We make no mistakes in heaven. This home has been built out of the material that you sent up here from earth. He goes on to say, how much treasure are you laying up in heaven? The reward that comes to you there is dependent on the service you give to Christ here. You think about heaven. You think about what it's going to look like. Bible talks about pearls, huge gates, one pearl per gate, walls of jasper, streets of gold so pure they're like transparent glass. It's a perfect place. 
And yet all those things, and I I think we'll be overwhelmed with the beauty, but I think even more than that, we're going to be overwhelmed because we're in the presence of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And the things that we think are so important here will pale into insignificance when we're there worshiping our Savior. Heaven is a place of perfect music. For those of us who are challenged with music, who can't carry a tune in a bushel basket, take heart. Someday you're going to sing in a choir, you're going to be on key, perfect harmony with everybody else. I remember my uncle said one time, he was singing in a choir, and he said the the fellow next to him hit every note from soprano all the way to bass. He, He couldn't carry a tune. He was making a joyful noise. So if that's you and when you're singing in a public setting like this and you you make sure you don't sing too loud so people can't hear you, take heart. When you get to heaven, you don't have to worry about that. You can sing at the top of your lungs, so to speak. It's a place of perfect knowledge. Just think of what it's going to be like. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Now we know in part, then we shall know even as we're known. What I think that is, you've heard me say this before. We're going to be, I think, as smart as Adam and Eve were when God created them. I think their intelligence was off the charts. Perfect. Flawless. But even more than that, we, I think, we'll talk about this in heaven when we get there if we disagree. I think we'll know everybody. I don't think we're going to need introductions. I don't think I'm going to have to Go up and say, hello, on the earth, I was Aiden Miller. Who are you? I don't think that's necessary at all. I think we'll know everyone. And they say, well, I, I, I want to make sure I talk to Nehemiah. He's one of my favorite old characters, test, Old Testament characters. And I said, well, there'll be a line a mile long. So what? You got eternity. And more than that, We're not going to be clones. We're not all going to look so alike that we don't even know. I think we'll keep our basic persona and looks without flaws, perfect. We're not going to be all look-alikes in a rubber stamp. My idea. I think I'm right. We'll see. Place of perfect service. When you get to heaven, God will say, I hope to you, well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then I'll have something for you to do. But you know something else? Heaven's a place of perfect rest, which simply means when you do things up there, whatever you like doing or whatever Jesus says, here's what you can do for me in heaven. You're not going to get tired. If you're a gardener, you're not going to have to worry about weeds. You're not going to have to worry about sweat. You're not going to have to worry about pulled muscles. Any of those things, sunburn, nothing. It's very difficult for us to imagine what's ahead of us. But he says, Philippians, Christ will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Let me wrap this up. Heaven is a place where Jesus is.
And that's what makes heaven, heaven. We'll be with Jesus forever. And I say to you, my friend, don't you want to be in that land with no tears? There's only one way to do that. Jesus said just a couple of verses after, he says, I go to repair a place. John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no man comes to the Father except through me. The only way to get to heaven is to acknowledge Jesus as Savior. Confess your sins and embrace him. And celebrate eternity in heaven. I have every intention of being there. And I hope you do too. I hope I have whetted your appetite a little bit for heaven. There's, I just barely touched it. But I, I hope when you leave here, you say, man, I, I really want to be there. I plan to be there. We'll have a fantastic reunion there. And eternity to enjoy it. A perfect place. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, as we think about what I just spoke about, about heaven, about what it's like, it's difficult for us to imagine. In fact, the Bible tells us that it'll take ages. You will take ages to show us all the splendor, the magnificence of heaven. It'll never get old. Father, we look forward to it because here we get old, we get tired, we get sick, we get discouraged. We get a lot of things. But they're so different. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again. And then you put your Holy Spirit within us as your people. As a deposit, guaranteeing what is ours to come. Father, we love you so much for what you've done and continue to do. And especially what will be ours in the life to come. Father, we bless your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.